Hey everyone, welcome to the Motion Church Weekly Podcast. On this podcast, we share some thoughts from our weekly gatherings as home churches, as well as our messages from when we all get together. It's our desire to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus, and we hope that this podcast encourages you to walk in that way. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy this episode. Hello everyone, this is Pastor Shannon from Motion Church and bringing you the weekly podcast here. And so last week on uh, Saturday, we finished out John chapter 6 by looking at verses 22 through 71. There was a lot of information here and a lot of stuff is is happening. And, and so this will be a, a really good recap of everything that we looked at from this this passage, and John is continuing this amazing narrative of the gospel message. And, uh, you know, just a little side note, sometimes we talk about the different gospels as the gospel of Mark or the gospel of John. And and really, that's um, that doesn't really do it justice, because if you look at your Bible, you'll see that each of the gospel accounts is titled the gospel according to John. In other words, one gospel, four different viewpoints. And so, this is the viewpoint of the gospel coming from John, and, and we sh- have been sharing each week what John's purpose was with his account of the gospel, because each of the four accounts gives us a different perspective on, on the gospel. And, and John, in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that's the whole point of John's gospel, is to really give you the viewpoint that shows that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the, the Messiah. He is the one that was going to come and redeem mankind. And this portion of his gospel, John chapter 6, is is a turning point. I mean, we, we've seen him over and over showing Jesus as the Logos, who's existed from the beginning and and had his hand in creation. Uh, Jesus, the embodiment of the of the temple, you know, the, the place where God dwelt, where where God's space and human space inter, intersected. And he's the embodiment of that. John pointed out that uh, Jesus is the son through whom life comes. He's the water of life, whereby no one uh, through him will thirst. Uh, He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is is the sovereign Lord. And and now he's going to take this event of feeding the multitude with the bread and the fish. And he's going to explain that he is the bread of life. And that's the focal point of of what we're getting at. And and the ultimate idea that John is is saying here is, is, listen, you've got to do something with Jesus. You you can't just ignore him. You can't, you've got to do something with him. You've got to, once you you hear the message and you see, you've either got to reject him outright or you've got to come to your knees and, and acknowledge that that he is the Messiah. And so he's going to ho- take this idea of the bread of life. Uh, we're going to see one of Jesus's I am statements. 
his declaration of being the I am, uh, like God had used back in the Hebrew scriptures on the story of the Exodus with Moses. And, and so there's some good stuff here. So let's dive in. There's a lot to kind of go over, and I want to give just a nice little overview here in this podcast. So basically what's happening is, is Jesus fed the, the multitudes of people with just five loaves and two fish and did that in a miraculous, amazing way. We saw the story of Jesus walking on the water and interacting with his disciples there. And so this part opens up, verses 22 through 24, uh, which says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So they got up after being fed the next day. Whoa, Jesus isn't here. What's going on? We, he didn't leave with his disciples. And, and so some more boats arrived. So they all get in the boats and they all go to the other side. And so they find him. And they're all going after him again then. And, and so then we come to our main section, verses 25 through 27. Uh, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So the crowd's making a mad dash to find Jesus. They're amazed when they find him. But then Jesus confronts them with the real problem. You know, uh, and their real problem is a heart problem. Jesus performs amazing miracles only the Son of God could do, and the people still don't get it. So he opens up with a truly, truly statement. That's that's him saying, people, you need to be paying attention. And he calls out the true nature of why they're trying to find him. They're not trying to find him because he's the Messiah who's, who's going to redeem the world. They're looking for their bellies to be filled. And and they're they're missing it. Oh, man, they loved it. They they got to eat without working for it. And, and man, man, we want some more bread. But he says that you need to be looking for the food that endures to eternal life because physical food is going to perish, but spiritual food lasts forever. And that's what the people should have been seeking after. You know, the miracle that Jesus did with the bread isn't that he fed 5,000. It's how he produced it. It's he only had five loaves of bread and two fish and was able to feed all that many. That's the whole point. The point wasn't the bread. The point was the Savior and and that Jesus is that Savior. He is that Messiah. So it's kind of interesting. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So there's an interesting works thing here. You don't work for food that perishes, but you should be working for the food that endures 
to eternal life. And that that's going to lead to the ultimate question of them asking how to do God's work. And, and so look at verses 28 through 33 here. Uh, we hear John, he writes, uh, and he says, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? All right, so we need to be working for the right food. So what do we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. There's the work of God. You simply believe Jesus Christ. That's the work of God. He said, so they said to, said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So Jesus here tells them that they need to work for the eternal bread of God. So then they ask, well, okay, what's the work of God? And, and Jesus's answer is just simply profound. He states that the work of God is simply believing in him, believing in the son of God, whom the father has sent. Here's the simplicity of the gospel. Believe in Jesus whom God has sent. And, and as John reiterates this in his first letter, First uh, John 3, 23 through 24, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. And it's great. God has done all the work. He's there to do the redeeming work. Jesus is here to fulfill everything that needs to be fulfilled. And ultimately, they're going to find out that he's going to die on the cross, which is going to pay that sin debt. And all God is asking that for, for people to do is to simply believe in Jesus. The only work is simply believing him. No other action can bring you closer to God. And, and Jesus is basically saying he is the embodiment of the kingdom here for us. That's why Paul later on in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, not, not all these things. I got to do a bunch of good stuff so I can weigh the balances. No, Jesus has already done the work. The only work is to believe in him. He goes on so that no one may boast, right? We can't boast in our own selves. We can only just bow to the Savior. And, and he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And sadly, the response of the people here demonstrates their, their refusal to step away from their own traditions and their own viewpoints. He, he tells them what they need to do. So then they go, okay, so what sign are you going to show us so that we can believe that you are who you say you are? Now, he just got done just the day before feeding them all with only five loaves of bread and two fish. And they're constantly, show us a sign, show us a sign. No, no, we need another sign. We need another sign. We need another sign. And, and Jesus corrects their misunderstanding of Scripture then. 
and says, you guys are looking for the sign like Moses did something for you all, but Moses didn't do anything even back in his day. It was the father who gave you that bread from heaven, not him. And, and that's why Jesus is the focal point of all this. So he's going to take that thought about the bread of life and, and now he's going to get it a little more detailed and he's going to make it a lot more personal. Look at verses uh, 35 through 40. John writes, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And there you go. That, that is the nature of it all. The work of God is to believe in Jesus, and the will of God is for everyone to look on him, and to have that, that everlasting life. So Jesus makes his great I am statement here. He says, I am the bread of life, connecting him to the Father. And, and so Jesus doesn't just lead to the bread of life or give out the bread of life. He is the bread of life. And, and the key to the bread of life, I mean, who doesn't want bread of life? life bread that is going to restore your soul and, and give you that eternal gift of redemption through God. The key to the bread of life is come to Jesus equals never hunger. Believe in Jesus equals never thirst. And, and it's, it's a repeat conversation, essentially, from the same one that he had back in chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And when a person surrenders to Jesus and commits their life to follow him, all their spiritual needs are, are fulfilled. They're met. You become that new creation in, in Christ. And, and remember, true faith in Jesus isn't just knowing about him, having knowledge of him, but seeking him and completely submitting yourself to him in, in his mission and his purpose and his being and his person. You know, uh, and he's, he's challenging hard-hearted people here. Uh, they see Jesus do all of these amazing things, yet they don't believe. And, and faith is ultimately a heart issue and, and not a sight issue. This is proof over and over and over again be, because they see Jesus do amazing and miraculous things over and over, healing and, and multitude of bread and food and all sorts of amazing things. And yet they still keep asking for more, more signs, more signs to try and believe. And, and he makes some great statements here. Uh, he talks about all that the father uh, gives him will, will come to him and, and whoever comes to him will never be cast out. And there's a lot of different things about this statement. Um, a lot of different groups and a lot of different scholars and a lot of different smart and amazing people disagree on, on the point of what Jesus is getting at. But, but here's the, the bottom line. 
how many people do the father, does the father want to go to Jesus? And the fact of the matter is, is everyone. His desire is for everyone to be saved. I mean, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, uh, 1 through 4, he says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, here's the kicker, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's that's God's desire. God's drawing all people to, to go to Jesus. He, he, wants them, he wants them all. He doesn't want anyone left bef- behind. And, and that's what verse 40 is. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And he'll raise him up on the last day. So God is is looking for all of us. And everyone who goes and and looks and believes and trusts in Jesus will have that eternal life. But sadly, what we learn is, is God has given us a free will choice. And there are people who will choose their own selfishness and their pride in instead and the fact of the matter is is not everyone who looks on on the sun will believe and and you know generally speaking i think across the board people would rather lose eternal life than give up any sense of self-control even though nobody has any self-control at all it's an it's an illusion you know i think about with all this coronavirus stuff going on today. Who has control over coronavirus? Who, who has control over the person who runs a red light and T-bones into the side of your car? Who has control over the aging process? Who has control over the cells in our body? None of us do. There, there's so much in this world. We pride ourselves in wanting to have control and, and establish our own destiny. And yet, ultimately, at the end of the day, none of us have control. And, and we allow this, this selfish pride, the selfish control to keep us from experiencing the, the awesome essence of that relationship with God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and the very paradox uh, of the Christian walk is that submission means freedom. In order to get the freedom that we all desire, it requires submitting to the sovereign Lord of all. So Jesus here makes a final plea in verses 41 through 51. John writes, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. He says, I am the living bread. 
that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the words here of Jesus just get the people grumbling, which is echoing what the people did to Moses in, in the wilderness. And, and what's the problem? They can't get past just what they see with their earthly eyes. Wait, wait a minute, isn't this Jesus, the guy, the carpenter? You know, we know his family and whatnot. How is he saying all of these, these things? And Jesus reiterates that a person who has heard and learned from the Father goes to Jesus. Why? Because the scriptures point to Jesus. Anybody who is willing to get into God's word, which, which the Jews in that day grew up with it. They grew up knowing the scriptures. They grew up knowing the prophets. They grew up knowing the Psalms and the Proverbs and the wisdom and, and, and all of that. And it, it clearly points to Jesus as the Messiah and those that have open hearts and minds will, will follow through and see and go to Jesus. He reiterates, person who has heard and learned from the Father goes to Jesus. If someone truly knows and has integrated the scriptures, they know Jesus because the scriptures fully speak of him. Um, Jesus goes on to say he is the bread of life. You know, once again, the physical bread is going to make you hungry again. And Jesus reiterates that the manna fed the people in the wilderness, yet guess what? They all still died. But the bread that he gives, the fact that he is the bread of life, and, and he's going to pay the ultimate price through, through the giving of his life so that anyone who partakes in Christ, you know, who, who trusts and believes and follows through and becomes part of his, his process and program and mission, they, they will get eternal life as well. And Jesus then is going to deal some blunt truth with them. In verses 52 through 59, he said, John goes on, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're missing the point all directly. Now they're trying to get into Jesus saying that Jesus is saying, actually eat my physical person. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And, and so Jesus knows this is going to rile them all up because they're stuck on, on just the direct words and the physical aspect of it when he, he's sharing a metaphorical thought, a poetic thought. Because when you eat food and when you drink, drink. It, be, it integrates into your person. And it's the whole idea of you full wholeheartedly just following Jesus with everything that you are. You Everything that is Jesus it becomes part of, of you. And that's the commitment level. But they can't take it. It's too, it's too much for, for them. And, and so they miss the, the blunt truth 
uh, of what Jesus is is trying to say. And and here as the chapter six ends, we get the sad truth. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. See, he's, he's telling them this is, this is a, a metaphorical, poetical picture of, of the spiritual, spiritual aspect of what Jesus is trying to get at with him as the Messiah bringing the kingdom of God. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him, betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. And this is the sad nature of truth uh, that we learn from this story is, is if we stand true to the gospel message and to the scriptures, we're not going to be popular. And I'm not talking about with just the, the lost world out there. I'm talking about with our fellow supposed Christians as well. There may be many Christians when we truly stand for scriptural truth that don't like what we have to say. And, and here Jesus was offering eternal life and the vast majority of the people that were following him left. But the 12 remained and they made that great statement. You know, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They may not have fully understood what Jesus was getting at, but they at least understood the basic idea and, and knew that, you know what? Maybe tough words, but those are the words of life. And, and that's, that's where we're, we're going to go. That's where we're going to commit our, ourselves. And so let, let's land this plane here. Let's get to the bottom, bottom line. Bottom line of it all is you have to make a decision about Jesus. You cannot remain on the fence. Seeking Jesus means setting aside what you think is true and allowing God's word to open your eyes to the truth. Even if it's your most treasured traditions and thoughts and ministries and ideas, let God's word break them down and get down to the, to the very lowest common denominator of, of walking with the Lord standing on the truth of the scriptures. Jesus is the bread of life and you must integrate him into your life. Being a follower of Jesus is not something you do, but someone you are. And, and so generally speaking for us as individual believers, your life and your worldview must be changed by Jesus and, and by the scriptures. You are literally a new creation in Christ, and your your life should reflect this. And listen, God isn't expecting us to, to be these new creations perfect overnight. It's a growing process, but we need to be in the midst 
of that growing process. No matter what struggles you have, they are now viewed from God's perspective. And for the church, we got to understand physical things should not drive the church. The, the pastor is not the head of the church. The, the constitution is not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He is going to build his church, and we need to submit ourselves to, to him. Physical things should not drive the church. Uh, budgets should not drive the church. Uh, offering plates should not drive the church. Particular ministries and things of that nature should not be the driving factor of the church. This is why Jesus' purpose is to make disciples, not churches. And, and I truly believe that the church in the West, and I'm speaking general, I'm not blaming all churches or particular churches. I think we have it backwards here in the West. Everything churches do, for the most part, is based on the physical activity and growth, hoping that people then will grow spiritually. We're all about getting them in the door and getting them here in the word. And then as their life changed, then they'll go out there and they'll start being disciples of Christ. And that's totally flip-flopped. We're to make disciples of Christ. And as Jesus changes their heart and changes our lives, we, we naturally want to go out and start getting on mission for him. What should happen is the focus is on spiritual growth in which the Holy Spirit will then fuel physical change and impact in the community. What an awesome, awesome part of John's gospel. What a great message. Uh, was only able to touch on just a, a bit of it here in uh, the uh, gospel. And so I hope you all have just a great week and make sure to check in with us each week in our Motion Church podcast and get to hear just what God's word can, can do in your life. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Motion Church Weekly. As always, head over to our website at motionchurch.life or follow us on social media to keep up with the latest from Motion Church. We hope you have a great week.